Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. I am going to be joined today by the SVP of Revenue Marketing at Notarize, Liam Maroney. Welcome to the show, Liam. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to be here and uh, get to learn from you and kind of dive into the wonderful world of uh, digital. What's your uh, acronym? It's a uh, digital online notary. Online notarization. Ron. It's not Don. It's Ron. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And uh, how is everything going right now, Notarize? Good? Yeah, things, things are going well. Um, you know, I mean, I think we're, we're, we're lucky that we're seeing a lot of demand for online solutions to offline problems. So we're, we're on the better end of that dynamic. But uh, now things are going well, growing fast. Team is growing fast. Companies growing fast. Cannot complain. I love it. I love it. Now, this is Sour and Sass. Are you ready? I'm ready. I got it. What do you got? What do you want? What are you rocking over there? You got the got uh, your, toxic uh, waste, toxic the warheads, the toxic waste. I'm going okay. with the lemon ones. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it is. Okay. All right. Here All right. we go. Okay. Yeah. Nope. It's just as sour. Welcome 2022. Mm -hmm. Just as sour as it was in 2021. Now, I recently experienced notary services. And so when I was kind of prepping for this interview, I wanted to look at a high level and say, okay, what is Notarize's strategy and how can Liam maybe educate myself and the audience around how they think and how can we apply that to our own businesses, our own strategy, our own marketing in SaaS or whatever industry. And the first thing I was curious about is I wanted to look at pricing, just to understand, okay, how are you positioning yourself in the market, right? So when I look at Notarize, we've got this kind of chicken and egg thing where we obviously want the big lenders and the mortgage people, high volume transaction. Do you guys have an API? I think you all have an API, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Right. So we can hook up our API, lots of deal flow, close the deal once, massive average order value. Let's go get B2B. Yep. But we also on our homepage, right? We have this B2C component. And I was curious about the B2C pricing because it's in my mind, B2C is a massive part of this growth strategy because it kind of drives this new type of way of getting notary done as awareness which then forces the B2B people to innovate and change, right? A little chicken and the egg. Mm -hmm. So you're priced at $25, 24-7, 15-minute timeline. Yep. UPS is 15 from what I can see. UPS is on every corner. Most of us drive around a little bit. Why price above UPS as a startup trying to take market share with what looks like a lower cost of goods sold, lower fixed costs, lower other things? So it's a great question. And the thing about notarization is, you know, a lot of people, you don't, you don't know what you need to get notarized until someone tells you. And usually you find out at the least possible convenient time. Everyone right. knows the typical ones. You're getting a house, you need to get notarization done through some part of that process. But there are things you need to get notarized that you find out at what is potentially the worst possible minute. Perfect example of this is if you're getting a passport for your kid, and I have a 10-month-old, you can be in the airport when you learn that information. Now, doesn't matter how far away that UPS store is, it's too far away if you need it in the next two hours before you have to take an international flight. So a lot of it is convenience and immediate accessibility, particularly if you're in an environment where you got to go outside, you got to go into a store. If you're in the middle of a pandemic, say, I mean, the convenience of that is more than worth it if you can solve your problem right now versus I got to go find a UPS store. I got to get in the car. I got to get on the subway. There's a huge difference between those two. Yeah. 
No, I think that's a really, yeah, really, really good point. And I think when I think about marketing, I always think about strategy because too much time when you're younger in marketing, especially myself, I went through this, you think everything's about tactics and lead generation, but you miss sometimes the positioning and strategy part. And so that's kind of what I was wanting to unpack a little bit today. 15 minutes. Yep. I've never, now I guess it depends how you look at it. The total time of notarizing takes me probably more than 15 minutes. But once I'm in the notary process, 15 minutes actually seems like a long time. If I go to UPS to get something notarized, it only takes me two minutes. So how do we position 15 minutes versus two minutes? And is 15 minutes a value prop in your mind? How do you think about that timeline? Because it's kind of, in my mind, it's like 25 bucks, 24, seven, 15 minutes. And that becomes that value proposition that gets the person to say, yes, is 15 minutes too long? Is it too short? Are you trying to shorten it? I'd love to hear your thoughts. And to your point, like there's a lot of different types of notarizations that are more complex. So they're not all uniform. However, I think it's still relative to if you need something now, but you've been told you can't get it done until you get that document notarized and back. 15 minutes compared to two days is a very different time window. I love that. No, it's really, really interesting. So this is kind of now a little bit more on the marketing side. How do you drive consumer awareness for a localized service as a national brand. So what I mean by that is most of us, right? I need a notary. The way my brain works is I search notary or local UPS store and I've been brainwashed. And then, right, I got four ads. I got a massive Google My Business local pack. Then way shoved down there in no man's land is somehow probably notarized.com. What do you do about that? It's a very difficult thing. You know what I mean? Like when people have been thought taught to like search local notary, notarized by me, whatever that is, like how are you adjusting to that as a SaaS product that replaces a localized service? Yeah. So this has been probably the biggest mindset shift for me because it's the opposite of the way I've typically done, particularly because yeah, it's B2C. I look at your resume. You're coming from all these big I'm, B2B SaaS yeah, companies. I'm classic big business, long, long yeah. sales cycle B2B. Uh, paid search is a huge part of our strategy and it's a huge part of our strategy right now because right now people are not aware that this is even an option that they have in a lot of cases we bid very heavily on keywords like notary near me because people aren't assuming that online is an option so there's a huge educational portion of it and we do bid on those and we educate them by you could actually do this online rather than find your local UPS store. There's also content play because we want to try and make sure that if people are looking for solutions, we're showing up at an SEO level. Our strategy right now is actually starting extremely broad where it is those people searching for, I need a notary, where can I find one? And we're even getting them- We want to show up when there's intent. Yeah, because it is, the challenge with something like this from a B2C side is they either need it right now or they don't need it at all. So you can't do direct response because you're going to burn all of your budget because they don't need it until the minute they need it and they'll forget about it. So we know that like, you have to be on the reactive side and you have to really max out the budget there. The search volume is large. So we're on, on the receiving end of a good bit of search because of what's going on right now. But there's also very document-specific, use-case-specific. So what we're building out content for is to make sure that if someone says, hey, I need to notarize a death certificate in L.A., well, we want to try and be able to give them a solution at that level as well. So there's a much bigger project of region-specific, use-case-specific, and optimistically document-specific. There's a lot of search when you take that. That's a big window of stuff. Because you kind of have these buckets in my mind, right? It's the consumer that's aware of this technology, and then the consumer that's aware 
of the problem we solve, but not that we're the solution. In other words, you've got people who are looking for local notary, serve, local, local notarized by me, and then you have people who are searching for online notary, right? The online notary people, yeah. that's your direct response, show up all day, they're ready, transactional. And then you have this local notary where you have to not only, you have to change their mind. So what kind of value-based messaging are you trying to articulate that like don't want to leave the house question mark or like what are, what is that value prop that we're trying to do to change perception? Than that. So we've okay. been working with a, a phenomenal messaging expert, uh, a consultant called Jeffrey Pease. I highly recommend anyone to talk to him. All right. He, art he articulated something that is like, it stays in my mind all the time. Our job is not to say we're the best online notarization option you have. Our job is to say you don't have to go to a store. It's the same as you're not trying to say we're a faster car. It's we're, we're not a horse. Like you're still in that realm. So we're first and foremost, the messaging is you can do this. It is available. And that's where you start. And then from there, you can build once there's awareness that this is even a solution. I love that. Because we've been, on, another... we've been very lucky because we have the name. We are the verb, which is a good spot to be in. But beyond that, what a lot of the marketing challenge for us and certainly for my team is not only are we the leader in this, we also were the ones who worked with the legislators to allow this to be legal itself. So that's how far ahead of it we are. Wow. Okay, that's a great position. Now, you don't sound so bad anymore. No, You're not I really don't. grimacing. Right. And that that no was okay. Like... That was okay. I expected worse from that. But oh. I think it gets worse when you have more than one. Uh, you know it. You've seen a couple episodes. The second one is worse. <laughs> guaranteed. For some reason, your mouth is not... Oh. Terrible. No, no, I'm getting it now. I'm yeah, you see what now. I'm saying? The second uh -huh. one, it does something demonic to you compared to the first. <laughs> now, when I was thinking about this whole thing, I wanted to kind of validate some of my hypotheses. So when I kind of was auditing your strategy, I was looking at, okay, what? how are we positioning ourselves on paid social? Because to me, that's a really interesting kind of, I don't want to say conundrum, but issue in the sense of, how do you identify someone? Because you're not advertising on Facebook from what I can see. Mm -hmm. Yet Facebook to me is everything, right? If I want to make sure everyone in the world knows you that like don't want to be a dinosaur, check out notarize.com, right? Like this is the future. You can do this in 15 minutes, 24-7, only 25 bucks. Get it done. Like one click, drag it, upload, you're good to go. Google's expensive. You have to change their opinion. They already wanted something else. Context switching is hard. So I thought, okay, Facebook could be great for them, but you're not advertising on Facebook. Walk me through why no Facebook? What are some of the gaps with it? Kind of what's your thought process there? So I will say there's a lot of new team that's been built out and we are changing a lot of our strategy, but I will tell you what we've learned and what's informed all of the strategy. Yeah, I love that. Because you do make a good point. And firstly, even just to take a step back, I think the biggest problem I have with B2B marketing is that, they assume we have one piece of content and we're going to shoot it out across all the social channels and not think that there are different audiences on each one. Oh, I saw that. Those are your webinar ads on LinkedIn. All right. I was going through those, mm -hmm. right? Like that kind of like, and I'm like, man, I don't know. I was, I, that, we'll get to that. The mm -hmm. LinkedIn strategy, but Facebook is very different. You can't be pumping out webinars and just be like, exactly. yeah. So in our case, we have what you would consider, I guess, three distinctly different audiences that we talk to. You've got the B2C audience, which yep. is its own thing. You've got the B2B audience, which are sort of indirectly getting to the B2C audience. And then you also have notaries who are part of that product. So it's almost like our senior director of demand gen articulated this better than I did, where 
it's almost like the Lyft model where drivers are as important to Lyft as passengers. In oh, our yeah. case, notaries are as important to the product. Consultants are just as important for me as new clients. It's, yeah. it's a supply and demand and having that equilibrium at all times where you don't have too many notaries or too mm-hmm. many clients or not enough notaries, right? It's a game we're playing. Yeah, 100%. So Facebook has, at least from what we've seen, heavy on the notary side because they're very entrepreneurial. They're very small business people. They live there. They're Real hustling. estate, which is a big vertical for us, is also on Facebook because, again, there's a lot of small business. That's where they're doing their trade, whereas enterprise lives on LinkedIn. And then you've got sort of Twitter, Instagram is much more B2C leveraged. So I think the strategy is entirely different across each one of them and will be what we're building out right now. I love that. Now, when we think about Facebook, to me, it was kind of like Facebook is where we drive awareness. We can do a lot of video. We can have a low CPM. We can kind of get this behavioral targeting so we can start to understand if someone's a notary or not. I'm sure they put that probably on their Facebook because of the nature of that job and who they're interfacing with is, you know, individuals, not companies. Yeah. So, for you, is you kind of essentially saying that you see Facebook as a supply acquisition channel in the sense that it's a good way to make sure you have enough notaries to fulfill 24-7 in 15 minutes? Even beyond that, I think it's to make sure that we are a participant in the notary community because you don't want to fall on the side of it where you're now some different form of competition to the way that notaries are typically operating. You want to be a new channel for them to be able to earn money through. You're a revenue opportunity, not a competitor. A hundred percent. That's very, very mm. smart. Now- What's your thought on the chicken and the egg kind of thing? And I, I think it's a fun little thing for us to talk about. What I mean by that is, do you believe you're better off going and getting Redfin? Big, big picture. Or are you better off getting a bunch of people to ask Redfin? Do you, like, in other words, are you, you better getting everyone on advertising on Facebook to everyone who's trying to like in the market for a new home and then getting them to ask their lender or their agent for online, like what, how do you all see that? Cause I'm so curious. Yeah. So this is a complex one, but you nailed it at the start. B2C, you can't have a B2B product that relies on a B2C experience unless you have a very good and well-known and liked B2C experience. So we have a very well-trafficked and a very well-used product with lots of high traffic, lots of um, high reviews. So the quality of the product is there. When you then can take that to a B2B company and say, this is what your customers are doing and that's what they expect, you can now deliver that to them. It's a much easier concept. Yeah, especially I would imagine you aren't maybe always dealing with the youngest executives in your industry in many regards. And so to me, like the, the real estate industry is like, it is a much more progressive one than I think you would expect it to be there because they the mortgage and lending. Yeah. Now it's also a very, very well established one. And I think what what our challenge on the B2B side, not just real estate, but across the board is it's two different parts. It's number one, it is making sure that people do not feel that this was a bandaid that will go away once pandemic is over and then everyone goes back to the normal way. It's more about making sure that they know like people saw that this could be done. It's the same as, you know, retail curbside pickup turns out to be much better than having to go into a store. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not a solution temporarily. It's the better way to do it when you want convenience. This is no different. I think, you know, COVID has shown that a lot of the older ways that we used to do things were just the way they were, but not the way they should have been. So that's yeah. part one is, yes, this is what your consumers are actually looking for. Potentially, it's what your competitors are evaluating. So yeah. you want to make sure you're ahead of them. 
the other side of it, which is the part when you're in a legal tech company, is this is legal and will be accepted everywhere. So there's an entire education part on, yes, this will be safe. This is worth embedding in your organization long term. Now, I had an idea for you, and I love that concept, Liam. It's called propaganda. Okay. I'm just playing with this for a second because we, no one ever talks like this. Nobody, we never have a moment to actually, I think, think like this as marketers. Most of us have an innovation, notarize.com. And the innovation is better than the old way. But we never, ever make the old way scary, unsafe, and intrinsically bad. So what I mean by that is when I normally get a notary service, I'm just like literally designing a campaign in my head. Mm -hmm. The way I get a notary service is I got my three kids. They're in my house. Maybe they're asleep. It's not. I've never had a notary come over in a good time. Genuinely. It's always 738. Right. You're in escrow. You got to close on the yeah. house, right? And like this is how it goes down. Random person shows up and you have to let them into your kitchen. I don't know why all notary happens in your kitchen, but you're now in your kitchen. You've got crap on your thumb. You're having to make small talk and jokes as they literally explain every page to you and you want to blow your brains out and they won't get out of your house. And you're just doing this whole thing. It's can be scary. It can be nervous. It could be genuinely dangerous. And we literally are allowing people to get in our homes. Have you ever thought about making the old way Instead of that we're better, have you ever thought about making the old way bad? And what's your initial reaction to that? Because no one ever does that. And I'm just yeah. curious. I'll be very honest. I'm the kind of marketer who tries to shy away from the sort of scaremongering kind of insurance commercials. Like, you know, what are you going to do if you die? Who's looking after your kids? Kind of a messaging. It, it when works. When like me strikes, right? Like, well, I'm, the reason I'm laughing like this is because I do everything for Allstate. And so yeah. I'm like thinking in my head around kind of how Allstate has agents and they have the B2B and they have the B2C yeah. and they have this kind of stuff. And I'm, they, you know, insurance companies does this. And that's why I'm, I'm so, I'm and curious. It, how works. You all think. It, it works, but I'll tell you the, the version I prefer, which is I yeah. think on a B2C side, I'm never a fan of trying to get people to be afraid as a consumer, but as a business, I think there are things that they think that are wrong, that it is our job to undo. I'll give an example of this. There is kind of an assumption that is incorrect, which is, oh, well, you know, online is potential for all of this sort of, you know, theft and piracy and fraud. people can be- You guys do a lot of content of, yeah. on fraud, I see. And so we want to stick to old reliable paper and that's the way we're going to do because that's safer. That sounds great when you say it, but then there's the version of, well, someone could break into the office and steal all of the papers. You could be bringing a box of really important documents in a car, be in a car accident and they're all over the road. There's, that cannot happen online. So there, there's things that are much less safe in the real world that when you digitize stuff, I mean, you know, I'm not a, a crypto bro, but you go down that pathway, the same argument is there. It's a digital ledger that you can't modify. It is sort of like decentralizing a lot of that. That argument is true. Online is often much safer than the real world. Oh, yeah. I was just curious because you know, a lot of us, we want to change consumer behavior, but we don't want to change consumer perspective. Mm -hmm. Like in other words, we want consumers to want to use digital but we aren't always willing to tell them to really maybe drive their awareness around how potentially bad the old way is. Instead, we want them to just assume that the new way is better instead of making the new way better and the old way bad. Yeah. And I'm always curious is if we make the old way bad, not like overly aggressive and poorly, but with taste and wisdom, how we can actually be better at changing behavior. So and that I was think, something that kind of. Yeah. And I think there's a version of this that I like on the consumer side, which is, 
you don't even necessarily need to make it bad. You just need to go like that isn't how it has to be. They already know it's bad. We just have a camera and watch it happen and then let them make their own decisions. Because you'd be like, and you do a couple angles, a little lighting, and the whole thing. They're (laughs) like, yeah, why am I having this person come over to my house at 8 o'clock at night that I've never met before? Yeah, like it's it's more about people just – some things you get used to and you go, well, I mean, you don't really have a choice. That's just the thing you have to do. Like if you said there was a better way to get your driver's license than going into the DMV, you don't need to explain the DMV sucking as an experience. It's very obvious. You just need to go, you don't have to do that. There's an alternative. That That's literally all you need to do, expose the option and convince them that it is safe, it is secure, it is affordable, and it will continue to be there for the long term. I just think you have to remind them how bad the DMV is first, though. I think you got to like put, get them in the moment of like walking to the DMV and there's lines everywhere, nobody's happy, and it's slow, and be like, "There's a better way." I just think there's like I feel like there has to be this moment of pain. There's a visual trigger. There's no question. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? No like there has. That's crazy. Now, something I absolutely love that you're doing, and I thought it was brilliant, but I'd like for maybe you unpack a little bit more is integrations, right? Mm-hmm. I saw your Adobe sign plus notarize. And I was like, yeah, baby, now that right there is very convenient, fully integrated, ex- like plugs into existing workflows. And it's almost like free money. Are you all trying to do that with DocuSign and the rest of them? Or kind of where's y'all's strategy around I mean, integration? It, yeah, like I think the, the long-term strategy is, is that, you know, I, I think too many SaaS companies try and be the platform. That seems to be like the long, we're going to be the platform for, and that's, mostly driven by ego and it completely ignores the fact that you're asking people to have a second or third platform that they need to use the reality is if there's a workflow people use and you can be part of that and add to it that's a great long-term strategy partnerships is a hundred percent both online and potentially long-term offline strategies are things that you know if there's already a place people know to go be in that place simple as that global is it easy to go global in legal tech it's challenging. There are a lot of there are a lot of competitors who claim that they do global notarization. Like it is challenging state to state, country to well, country. It, county it's to a county, very difficult thing. Yeah. 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 Um, it yes. is and right now I think it is in our interest to be much, much, much better at being the best in the United States than trying to be sort of trying to see if we can do it in, you know, like Germany and, and UK and stuff like that. Well, globally, going global is just for a series C. So what I mean by that is, <laughs> it's like, you know, we've got a hundred, I think, uh, 30 plus SaaS companies that are all mid-market enterprise. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they raise capital, they hire us, and then they go global. But they still spend 95% of their budget in the U.S., so what I've seen is that there's not many people that actually go global. There's mostly people who use global opportunity as a way to raise capital and still allocate almost all of it to the North American market. And I think it's really product specific. Like even in our case, like global involves language support. It involves sort of like currency level, local laws. Like there's a, you need a deep bench of expertise to yeah, do that yeah. well. And you look at a lot of companies and when they decide to go global, they end up not having a good Spanish option for the United States. Like get it right where you are before you start adding versions elsewhere because you see market cap. Wow. No, I love that idea. Let's unpack that for a second. Cause I think that's brilliant. Right. And are you ready for the last, the last All right, round? Let's go. The final round. All right. I'm doing way more shower candy this year. Just so you know, I used to just do <laughs> one to two. Oh man. It's brutal. Mm, yeah. It's definitely starting to hit the stomach now. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you have an ulcer, that's on you. But I mean, thanks for being on the show. It's been great. Um, no, the the U.S. is a melting pot. So you can theoretically perfect your global strategy in the U.S. market with a better feedback loop of a bilingual user before you ever go into those markets. Correct. Like you can yeah. launch the Chinese version of Notarize.com before entering China. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? There's no yeah, for sure. I never thought about it like that. I know that sounds crazy, but I've never heard anyone say that. It's like the simplest thing in the world. It's like, hey, before we enter kind of LATAM or whatever, you know, we want to call it in our little acronyms of marketing or APAC or APAC. OPEC, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but like before you enter that area, you can all, literally support all those languages in the local communities and then target into big cities where those communities exist. Like if you go drive to LA, you're going to find all these different pockets of like little Korea, little like whatever that is, right? And you can go target that yeah. zip code and then test your hypothesis before entering Korea. I never thought of it though. That's a really clever way to do it though. And I mean, as a as an immigrant, I've always found it funny because whenever I've heard them refer to like, oh, the EMEA strategy, I was like, I mean, you, you're talking about all of Europe as a strategy. That's the most insane idea to me. It's no different in the US. Like the US is... I mean, it's basically 50 different countries that... It's so yeah, we're going to market to Louisiana the same way we do San Francisco. And yeah. you're like... Absolutely. And when it comes to the law, I mean, New England law versus California law is completely different to itself. Entirely different. Wow. Okay. Webinars, do you like them? Do you think they work? I think the term is awful. I think it's... Uh, it, it, <laughs> I, like, I, I attended my first webinar... When I, and it was, I hate to say it was a webinar because it was the SparkToro one. And I wrote about it because it was the first time I was ever looking forward to one. Like, and the reason is because more often than not, it is a recorded presentation and no one wants to sit through that. And it's just, it's not. It's one directional. There's no yeah. emotion. Hell, sometimes there's not even the, you can't even see the speakers, like a talking voice behind yeah. slides. Like, I'm not going to sign up to watch someone walk through a PowerPoint deck. It's not entertaining for me. It's not served for me. And it it's. To me, the old school type of webinar is the perfect example of content that was made without ever thinking about how the people who are going to be on the receiving end of it will think about it. It's like it's the, the audio book of a white paper. It's like we're going yeah. to turn all our white papers into audio books. And you're like, <laughs> I don't, nobody wants to read it. I don't think they want to listen to it yeah. either. Because you go through the logic of why someone puts together most of the demand gen type webinars. Because they'll say, well, we're going to get people to sign up. And I, I've heard myself say this in the past. Where it's like, they're going to spend 45 minutes sitting on a webinar. And that's much more valuable than someone downloading an ebook. So the sales team is going to get people who are much more engaged. Like you're talking about them completely separate from will they enjoy it? Was it the best way to serve them that information? We love our content. Yeah, they're well, humans. They're not widgets. They're not like these like robots, right? Yeah. And it's just, it's, yeah, I, I think that they are, it's one of those ones where it they could be so much better. I've seen ones that are so much better, but it goes back to the same question of why did you choose it? Is it because you could gate something that you didn't need to gate? Is it because you just thought it was a better way to serve someone to the sales team? Like if you position it in the funnel versus what's the best way to tell this story? Oh, well, we tried to do it in a blog post, but it was too long. We wanted, we realized we had to demonstrate something on screen. So we figured a video was the best way to do it. That logic makes much more sense. And I've done ones in the past. Like I remember when I was working back in NewsCred, 
we did great webinars. And I, I didn't realize it until I left there that we did great webinars. And the reason we did great webinars was the same reason that SparkToroon was so good. Before the webinar, we had a banter going back and forth on Twitter with the people who were going to be hosts. You could tell there was a rapport. It was fun. They were looking forward to it. And that's infectious. So yeah. the pre-event promotion was much better than let's send an email to our database and then send another one two days beforehand and make it really formulaic. Then there was the yes. webinar itself, which was not scripted. We had slides. We knew what we were going to talk through, but it was very ad hoc. And it felt like a mm. conversation. Same as what we're doing now. There's no script behind where we went with this conversation. And then there was the fact that it was thought through about what, why are we trying to do this? And we were a content marketing platform, so we had to be good with content. It was, it was part of who we were. And so I remember one time I tried to write a blog post on how to set up Google Analytics to measure your content better. And I realized after writing the blog post, it was like 6,000 words long and it was screenshots. And I just, I came to the obvious conclusion, I need to show Google Analytics and walk through it. And it was a better way to do it. That made sense as a webinar. Yep. No, I, so I want to wrap up with this. I want our audience to close their eyes. And Liam, you're going to take us to a new world, a beautiful world, a world of a great webinars. Okay. So. What are the three to five things every great webinar has and how can we stop doing white paper audiobooks? <laughs> I think you need it to be first and foremost, visually compelling. It has to be. You're asking someone to stare at a screen for a half an hour, which means you cannot linger on slides for- Is that the time recommendation, by the way? Let's, let's just... You know what? I, yeah. I'm, I would say- you know, to, to parrot what Chris Walker always says, like it can be as long as the content is necessary to be far. If it takes 45 minutes, make it 45 minutes. Like people will stay as long as it takes to get really, really good insights on stuff. And I think like that's the first one. Like it cannot be a, you cannot present it to the way you would present an internal presentation to your team and think that that's acceptable. You need to treat it like it is a visual thing. You need to have really good creative. You need to have really good visuals. And it needs to feel like a story being told visually. If not, don't use slides and share your screen. Like there should be something else going on. Mm. That's the first one. I think the second one is... Like if the entire purpose that you're doing it is so you can almost kind of like prevent someone from getting the content until they join up, you've probably already failed. Like it should, they should know what they're coming into. They should be a little bit of a teaser. It's not enough to do paragraph three bullets on a landing page and think that someone's going to give away 45 minutes of their time. Oh, come on, man. That's way easier. It's easier, but they'll be annoyed when they get in. And I think the other part is it like there, are, <laughs> there are two kinds of webinars out there. There are ones that people have to do for training purposes. And I have like my family are all teachers. They do webinars as ongoing training. They don't the like they are, webinar. They are required. Yeah. Required webinars, you can afford to be dry. Voluntary webinars, you have to be entertaining, which means you cannot be scripted. You cannot sound like you're reading from a teleprompter. Like you're there as though you're on stage at a conference and you need to keep people's attention. That's your job. I love it. I love it. Liam, this has been amazing. If anyone wants to follow you, your journey, notarize.com, what's the best way for them to do it? Uh, go to notarize.com. It's the easiest one to remember. I think uh, give it a try. The experience is very simple. Uh, you will remember it. Uh, you can also follow me on LinkedIn. I talk way more than I probably should, but always, always <laughs> ready for a conversation. 
I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today, Liam. And uh, that, everyone, is another episode of Sour and Sass. Thank you, and uh, subscribe to the YouTube. Bye, everybody. Thank you.